Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Today we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5 and we're going to talk about how God changes lives. God changes lives. We're going to talk about how the Christian life is really a changed life. And you see, we're on the front end of a new year here, new year here, and so uh, that kind of makes this a great time for us to camp out in some of our foundational beliefs and distinctives as a new church family. You know, the typical thing that we do here is we usually go through books of the Bible. We'll go passage through passage, but every once in a while we'll, we'll camp out on specific topics that we need to go through. And so last week we touched on the topic of prayer, and today we're going to talk about how, how God changes and transforms lives. And this is, this is key for us to get as a church. You see, I think if we take a moment to sort of step back and to be honest with ourselves, we can admit that we all long for change. We all long for change. We all long for transformation. You just take a quick look, quick look at like a, a quick glance at the top podcasts, the top nonfiction books, the New York Times bestseller lists. Like so many of these titles are revolved around change, right? Changing the way that we think, changing the way that we, we eat, the way that we behave. It's because we all long for that. We all long for some type of transformation. And we take a step back, and if we look at the world around us that we live in, we acknowledge that, you know, things are not right. Things are broken. There's a sense in us, there's a sense where, where we just know that things are not right, things are not as they should be. But, but when we take a moment to actually, like, uh, look inside, to take a step back, to look inside, to think introspectively, then we, th we also see that, that, that things are not as they should be there either, and that's because they're, they're not. You see, God created. He created the cosmos, and when he did, he said that it was all, all what? Good. But when sin entered the world, when sin entered the universe, entered humanity, it, it, it stained, it affected everything. And so creation, the earth, all of humanity, you and me, are affected by that. And so we don't only say something's not right when we look around at us, but we also say something's just not right when we look within. It's like 
Pinocchio, right? He's like, I just want to be a little, a real boy. He knows that, that something's not right. There's something more to life that he longs for. And there's a sense in which like, we, we kind of feel that way too. We're like, you know, there's something about this that, that's just not right. There's something about our identity, our values, our behavior, our nature that like, we just long for more. And the good news of the gospel for us, the good news in the scriptures, is more than the fact that we're just saved in Jesus from the sins of our past, the sins of our present, the sins of our future but that God also frees us. He frees us in Jesus to follow him as Lord and to grow, to mature, to be transformed by his grace. You see, someone who's a Christian, somebody who knows Jesus, is somebody who walks differently in the way that they did before. And that's the big idea that I want us all to walk away with this morning. It's this idea that the Christian is somebody who grows in the grace of God by the power of the Spirit. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then you know you've been given a new heart. You've been sealed with the Spirit of God. You're a new person. But it doesn't just stop there. God is remaking you. He's renewing you. He's transforming you. He's maturing you from the inside out. And so I'll walk through uh, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. We're going to look at three points this morning. First, we're going to look at how behavior works. Secondly, we're going to look at how we know that we're growing. And thirdly, and lastly, we're going to look at how real change happens. So let's look at that first one. How does behavior work? Now, the first thing that we need to know regarding our, how behavior works is that behavior is a byproduct of the heart. You tracking? So behavior is a, is a byproduct of the heart. You see, we tend to think, to kind of look at it the other way around, right? We tend to focus so much on our outside behavior when we're just like a mess on the inside, right? We tend to think of behavior as what we do on the outside, but, but the scriptures tell us that behavior actually spills out of what's already in the heart. It's what happens at the heart level. But the Bible tells us that the heart is the wellspring of life. In other words, life flows from the inside out. And so in our passage this morning, Paul uses this really helpful language where he says, where he calls our behavior fruit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. He talks about fruit, and he's really borrowing an analogy that Jesus gives in Matthew and Luke and other places. Um, look at Matthew chapter 7 really quick with me. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is, is talking to this group of people. And he tells them, beginning in verse 17, he says, Look, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So here's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying what you do flows from who you are. What you do flows from, comes from who you are. Your behavior flows out from your identity. And so like, if you see a grapefruit on a tree, wait, grapefruits grow on trees, right? Yeah, I mean, they're like bigger oranges, right? So. Grapefruits grow on trees. If you see a grapefruit on a tree, that's why, what kind of tree is that? It's a grapefruit tree, right? 
You know, like, that's a grapefruit tree because I see a grapefruit. If you see apples on a tree, what kind of tree is that? It's an apple tree, right? You see, Jesus says the human heart is just like that. If you see good fruit on the tree, then you know that's flowing from a good heart. If you see diseased fruit on a tree, that's flowing from a diseased heart. You see, if bad fruit is coming out of your heart, then your life and behavior will be bad. But the actual problem is at the root. It's at the heart. You can't just staple good fruit on your branches and say, well, I fixed the problem, right? That doesn't do anything. That apple, that grapefruit is still going to rot. If you want good fruit to grow on that tree, then you have to address the root. You have to address the tree, make sure that it's healthy. Make sure you got good soil, water, sunlight. Jesus says it's like the human heart. So how do we change the root? How do we change what's inside of us? The Bible teaches us that the way that transformation happens is through the truth of God applied by the Spirit of God. You see, there's a difference between knowing the truth of the Word, knowing how, who God is and, and what He demands. There's, it's one thing to, to know the truth of the Word intellectually. There's something else entirely to have it functionally work itself out in your life. To where it affects your, your, not, not just the way that you think, but your heart, your attitude, your values, your behavior. And the second, so that's the first thing we need to see about, about behavior is that it, it flows from the heart. The next thing I want us to see about how Christian behavior works is that there's a battle being waged in our hearts. You see, when we're thinking about Christian behavior, we need to understand that there's a battle being waged in our hearts. See, the Bible teaches us that the way that transformation happens is through the truth of God applied by the Spirit of God in our hearts. Look at Galatians uh, chapter 5 again with me, beginning in verse 16. <clears throat> Paul, the apostle, is the author here, and he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you're walking by the Spirit, then you won't do the desires of the flesh. And then verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So here's what to see in this verses. The nature of change, the nature of our behavior and change in our behavior is not about morality versus immorality. It's not about what's ethical versus unethical. True change is forged through this ongoing battle in our hearts between the flesh and the spirit. So if you're a Christian this morning, if you're somebody who's growing in the grace of God, that means you're somebody who's going to war with your flesh so that you can walk in the Spirit. How many of you guys are familiar with a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer? <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. He was a pastor in the 1930s and, and, and 40s. He's written a lot of classic Christian books like Life Together or The Cost of Discipleship. But what's, what's fascinating about this guy, what's fascinating about Bonhoeffer is that he lived and he pastored during World War II and he was a pacifist. 
He, was, he, lived, he lived out there in, in, in Nazi-occupied land, and, and he lived during World War II, but he was a pacifist, and, and a pacifist in like the truest sense of the word. Like, he believed that you should do whatever you can at all costs to resolve conflict peaceably. He was a true pacifist until, until Hitler came onto the scene. You see, when Hitler rose to power and started slaughtering people left and right, Diedrich Bonhoeffer could not stand idly by. He knew he couldn't just sit passively on the bench, sit passively on the sidelines anymore. And so he ended up playing the really key part in this secret assassination attempt against Hitler. This pastor was involved in this secret, this pastor and former pacifist like, was involved in this secret attempt to, to assassinate Hitler. He would eventually get caught, thrown in prison by Hitler himself, and would eventually get hung to die. So Bonhoeffer, this guy who wouldn't so much as wave a finger at like, his worst enemy, he put his pacifism aside and went after Hitler and lost his life in the process. Now, why did he do that? He did that because the intensity and the severity of the opponent compelled him to go to war. Bonhoeffer decided to put his pacifism aside and went to war because of the severity of the opponent, because of the severity and the intensity of who Hitler was and what he was doing and what he was after. Bonhoeffer's like, I can't, I can't not go to war against this guy. I want to contribute however I can. And so now we have a severe opponent in the journey of Christian growth, and the Bible calls that the flesh. And see, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then you will be compelled to go to war against what this passage this morning calls the works of the flesh. You don't have an option as to whether or not you, 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 you're part of the battle. Like, you, you are. The Scripture tells us that in the Christian heart, the flesh and the spirit are at battle. They're opposed to one another. So the war is already happening. The, the question is, are you going to participate? Are you going to, to wage war here? Now, to be clear, Paul, again, he's writing to Christians, all right? And that's important to understand that he's writing to those who are, he's writing this letter to a church in Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. He's writing to a church, which means he's writing to believers, to Christians here. And now it's important because he's not writing to non-Christians. He's not writing to unbelievers telling them, hey, if you work really hard, if you do these things and don't do these things, then God will save you. As a matter of fact, the people in Galatia had so perverted the good news of the gospel that that's how they were living their lives. They thought that Christianity was all about do these things and don't do these things. And Paul comes in and reminds them, it's not about what you do and don't do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. Because you could never do it yourself. That's the whole point of Galatians. And so that's important for us to understand because sometimes we, we might take a look at a passage like this and you're like, okay, so, so what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus is don't do this list and do that list. No, Paul's already ta talking to those who are already following Jesus. He's talking to those who are already saved, and he's talking to them about how now to work out that salvation in the everyday stuff of life. You see, one of the things that I love about this church, 
One of the things that I love about King's Cross is that a good handful of the people who come to this church are either like brand new to the faith or they're altogether skeptical of the faith and they're considering the truth claims of Jesus for the first time. Man, I love that. I love that we have people that are are skeptics and doubters that have honest questions seeking honest answers. Because we always strive here to create a safe space for curious skeptics to explore who the historic Jesus is and why he still matters today. For that reason, it's important to note that Paul here, he's actually writing to those who are already Christians. So his motivation is not to shame unbelievers into good behavior. He's talking to believers who already want to walk in the Spirit. That's what verse 17 says. He says these are the things that you want to do. You want to walk in the Spirit. Now he's encouraging them to work out of the identity that they already have and to cling to Jesus more closely. So on the one hand, you have the Spirit at work, and on the other hand, you have the flesh at war. And that's when the heart tries to operate apart from the goodness of God, trying to keep you from doing the things that you want to do, as verse 17 says. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, like this is a battle that you're familiar with. Like, how many of you are tracking? Like, how many of you are like, yes, I know what that feels like, right? I see so many heads nodding right now. You're like, yes, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to sense that tension where I know the things that I want to do, but my flesh is holding me back. You see, it's important to recognize what Paul's getting at in here because like our our enemy, the thing that tends to, to hold us down, the enemy in this passage is not a foreign enemy, but it's the flesh that's war inside of us, the civil war waging on. And see, it's important for us to own it, to own that, and to take responsibility for that. It doesn't mean it's not apart from God's grace. It doesn't mean that it's not God's power at work in us, but we still have this grace-driven effort to walk in the Spirit. We need to own that instead of saying, you know, the problem is out there. The reason that I'm not walking faithfully is because, you know, my circumstances, right? If this thing over here was just changed, or if if that person didn't agitate me the way that, that they did, if the circumstances were just a little bit different, then I probably wouldn't do those things. But no, Paul says the reason that we do those things is because it's inside of us. The flesh and the Spirit are at war here. We need to own that. There's a, how many of you guys are familiar with the show Breaking Bad? Right? Came out on AMC like about 10 years ago. And in Breaking Bad, there's this character named Walter White who's like this um, super unassuming, all around nice guy, like middle aged guy who uh, he's a, I, what, he's what, like a high school teacher, right? Uh, and uh, he's the most, most plain, boring character uh, that you meet at the beginning of the, the, the show. And the reason it's called Breaking Bad is because Walter White just goes in this spiral out of where he, he came from. And he just, I mean, his, his character, his values, his behavior over the course of however many seasons, just things like five or six seasons, just basically goes down the, the toilet. He, gets, he starts uh, making crystal meth. 
He starts dealing drugs, and one thing leads to another, and his character just decays more and more over time. And in the beginning, when his family finds out, he's telling them, look, he's like, I know you're probably weirded out by this. You're probably disappointed, but like, I'm doing this for you, right? I'm doing this for the family. Uh, he, they were running out of money, and he's like, I'm doing this for you guys. And at the end of it, uh, him and his wife are having this argument. And he's just like, look, he's like, everything that I've done, and his wife cuts him off, and she's like, no, don't tell me that you're doing this for us. Don't tell me that you're doing this for us. And he cuts her off, and he says, no, like, I'm not, that's not what I was going to say. He says, I did it for me. He just owns it. He says, look, I know that I did it for me. You see, and it's a powerful moment in the show, but we have this tendency to, when we're, when we're doing the things that are contrary to the character that we would like to think that we have, we tend to blame it on our outside circumstances when really we just need to own that. Man, the things that we choose that are contrary to godly character is really because of the flesh. It's coming from inside of us. It's not being imposed from outside of that, and so we need to own that. So that's the first point I want us to get, is how behavior works. It comes from the heart, and it's engaged in this battle within. Now let's look at how to know if you're growing. Here's how we know if you're, if you're growing, if you're maturing in the faith. Read verse 16 with me. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, he's saying, He's saying that if you say yes to the Spirit, that's the same thing as saying no to the flesh. And again, you know, people seem to tend to wrongly think that Christianity is like this negative faith where you start with stop doing these bad things and start doing these good things. But it's actually a positive faith that says because you're saved, because you're freed from the shackles of this, you are now free to walk in the Spirit over here. And when you walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the flesh. That's what he says in verse 17. He says, walk by the Spirit, and then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Jesus told his disciples that that's how this would work. He said that he would give them the Holy Spirit who would work in them and through them to help make them look more like him. So how do we know if we're growing in the Spirit? Verse 17 tells us that both flesh and spirit have desires, competing desires. We all have things that drive us, that dictate or control our behavior, our actions, in everyday life situations, right? The question that we need to ask is, are they from the Spirit or from the flesh? What are those vices that we run to when we're depressed, when we're lonely, when we're tired, where we feel like we're, we're losing control? Both the spirit and the flesh come with passions that will flow out into how we live in everyday situations. And so this week, when you leave from here, this week, throughout this week, you're going to have a million opportunities to either live in the flesh or in the spirit. And so if you want to know how you're growing, then you have to look at the fruit in your life. So let's go through now what Paul calls the works of the flesh. In verse 19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then he gives a list, right? Now this is in no way an exhaustive list, 
But we can fit this list in kind of four basic categories, into four basic columns. And the first one is, has to do with sexual sin. It's what he starts out with. We see that in verse 19 where he says, the works of the flesh are evident, and then he starts to list them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And now look, it's important for us to, to know that when, when we're looking at this column, that sex is God's idea, right? Sex is God's idea, but sex is also powerful, right? That's why God gives us good boundaries for sex, a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. You see, man, this is so controversial in our day and age, and we could spend a whole sermon on God's good purposes in sex, and, and maybe one day we will, but in case you didn't know, sex was created by God, and sex is awesome, all right? I'm married, I know this, like, sex is awesome, God made it, it's supposed to be awesome, right? It's supposed to be. It's a gift from him. He has good purposes behind it. My wife's like super red up here. <laughs> but look, I think, I think we, 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 we all know, anyone who's gone through puberty knows that sex, as God created it, is never really just about sex. It's also about intimacy. It's also about being truly known. Look, the scriptures tell us that it actually flourishes, it thrives within the good boundaries that the Lord provides. And when God gives boundaries, it's always for our good. It's never arbitrary, it's always for our good. And so when the Bible warns about these destructive works of the flesh, it's not because God is some like disconnected dictator who just wants to tell us what not to do, but it's because God is a loving Father who knows what's best for us, knows what we need knows what we're made for, and knows what we need to thrive and to flourish. So Paul's talking about the works of the flesh, and that first category he, talks, he, he touches on here is sexual sins, like pornography, lust, adultery, molestation, any kind of perversion like that. And then the next bucket he talks about is about spirituality, and we see that in verse 20, where he talks about idolatry and sorcery. Now look, idolatry isn't just like some Indiana Jones thing, right? Idolatry is when the object of our worship is anything other than God. When the object of worship is anything other than God. Now it doesn't have to be a physical object. And it's when you find your sense of value, your purpose, your identity primarily in something other than God. Even the most hardened atheist might say, well, I don't believe in a God. I don't, I don't have a Lord. I don't really worship a God. But look, whatever it is that controls you the most, whatever has the most power over you, that is your functional God. Could be a person, a thing, a hobby, a sports team, an experience. John Calvin taught that the human heart is what he called an idol factory. And he calls it that because our hearts were made to worship. And so if we're not worshiping God, then we'll always find something else to worship. Paul also warns against sorcery in this verse. Now, most of us, most of us in the suburban West, we don't get much face time with witchcraft and the occult like others do in third world countries or in the inner city, kind of more urban centers. 
Although, actually, somebody at the at our church, uh, uh, what, what was it, texted me like some months ago, and he's like, hey, like I have a friend of a friend who believes that she's under a, a curse. She thinks she's under a, a, a Santeria curse, right? Uh, and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't practice Santeria, so I don't, <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball. But um, I, I was like, um, I was like, man, like, I've, I've never actually heard of an instance like that. He's like, he's like, what do I do? I was like, I, I don't know. But um, anyhow, we, uh, <clears throat> most of us, most of us in Rancho Santa Margarita, in the Saddleback Valley, in Orange County, we don't get much FaceTime with the occult and witchcraft do, like uh, some of our friends in, in maybe more urban centers or, or third world uh, uh, countries that, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've come face to face with some stuff in, in like Africa and other places like that that I've visited. But the key here, even though we don't tend to, to come see, face that, see that face to face here in the suburban West, is that the heart of sorcery, that Greek word there, is really when we do anything to try and manipulate the spiritual realm. When we try to do anything to even try to manipulate God and have him respond to us in the way that we want, right? And so doing some kind of like incantation or vain repetition or fasting in order to get God to respond to you in the way that you want and that you desire, right? Like that's a, a form of, a, a, a type of sorcery that, 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 that Paul says um, is a work of the flesh. The third column, the third bucket is relational relationships. And we see this a long laundry list in the rest of verse 20 and the beginning of verse 21 when he says, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. Now, this is fascinating because Paul says that jealousy and envy are works of the flesh just as much as idolatry and pornography. Man, that should be convicting, right? Jealousy and envy and fits of anger are just as much works of the flesh as idolatry and pornography. You see, and that's because sin doesn't just separate us from God, but it also separates us from each other. We see this in Genesis with our first parents, where when Adam and Eve sin, they hide not just from God, but then they hide from each other. You see, if we're made for relationships and community, and all of us have a sense of that, right? You don't have to be a Christian to know that we're made for community, that we're made for relationship. God made us that way. And so if we're fashioned and formed for relationship and for community, then we shouldn't be altogether shocked that sin will try to break down our relationships. Now, when we operate out of the flesh rather than the spirit, that it will tear at the good in our relationships at home, at church, in the community, at work. Works of the flesh manifest itself in our relationships. And in the fourth category, we'll also call pleasures. So the fourth category is pleasures. And we see that the rest of verse 21 when he talks about drunkenness and orgies. Just so you know, the official King's Cross position is no orgies. All right? Um, what he's getting at here in drunkenness and orgies is really just pleasures. Pleasures. That's when your passions and desires that you have end up enslaving you to this degree that you're just completely and totally and utterly like mastered by them. 
And so instead of enjoying just a few glasses of wine to the glory of God, we become drunkards. Instead of enjoying conversation with friends, we become gossips. Instead of stewarding money and enjoying God's gifts, we obsess over buying stuff and we go into debt. It's when we take a good gift of God and we twist it for our own purposes and it leaves us altogether empty. There's really a fifth bucket here, uh, sort of the miscellaneous bucket, and the rest of verse, and he, when he continues in 21, verse 21, he says, and things like these, and things like this. So just in case, now Paul's got everyone covered, right? Works of the flesh. Anything we're doing that's not walking in the Spirit. Now look, we need to understand that in all of these warnings that God gives, God is not a killjoy, all right? He is the creator. He is the source of all that is true, all that is good, all that is beautiful in our broken world. God is not a killjoy. So you might think when you're going through this list, like, man, that sounds restrictive, right? But guess what? My 16-month-old son thinks his car seat is restrictive. But without it, he won't get to the kids' club at the gym, which is one of his favorite places to be with his sister. Right? He's got a limited perspective on the purpose of that. The Lord our God, the Creator, the Maker, the one who is transcendently other than us, who made us, fashioned us, formed us, knows how we're wired and the, the purpose that we're created for, that God, the Lord our God, He just wants His best for us. He's the all-wise and infinite Creator, and we are feeble-minded, finite creatures. So we trust Him. I want you to see now how verse 21 ends. He says, I warned you, I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is the kind of verse, this is the kind of verse that makes some of us go, whoa, take it easy, Paul. Right? Like, are you saying if I've ever done one of these, then I'm not welcome into the kingdom? That I'm not welcome into the family? That I'm not welcome to God? Like, no, it's not what that means, and this is really significant here. The, 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 some of your Bibles might have a footnote on that verse where it says that the Greek phrase for those who do such things is actually better translated, those who make a practice of doing these things. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're somebody who makes a practice of doing these things, an ongoing practice of doing these things, then you really can't consider yourself a follower of Jesus in the true sense of those words. You can't just say Jesus is Lord and not actually allow Him to Lord over your life. Look, some of us here that might be these skeptics, you might be doubters, and, and you might be like, man, we just went there, right? Like, I, I'm, I, I thought I was interested in this Christianity thing, but then I'm looking at this list, and I'm like, I like some of those things, right? Now, I just want to say for you, like, I hope in your, in, your, in your time with us that you can see that Jesus is better, that he's more beautiful than anything else that this world has to offer. 
And yet, if you're still not there, if you're still struggling there, like we really mean what we mean, what we say when we, when we say that we really want to create a safe space here for anyone to explore their honest questions about Jesus. And so if this is something that you're struggling about, something that like you'd like to, to talk more about, like, man, I'd love to personally talk about it with you over a meal or a drink or coffee. Um, God really is the source of all that is true, good, and beautiful. When you see that, when you see his beauty, it doesn't, he doesn't become a, a, a killjoy. He becomes beautiful to us. He becomes a delight to us. Opens the floodgates to joy that you've never known before. And so what this doesn't mean in these lists, when he's talking about those who make a practice of doing these things, what that doesn't mean is that if you've done any of these things before, then you're fresh out of luck. It's actually about refusing to acknowledge your sin. He's saying, look, you can't refuse to acknowledge your sin and call yourself a Christian at the same time. The issue isn't sin, but the issue is unrepented sin. Sin that you don't own and take responsibility for. And so if you're going through the list of the works of the flesh and you're feeling convicted, then that's actually a good sign. Because conviction, feeling convicted, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's like a, it's like a check engine light that turns on. You see, when your check engine light turns on, it actually helps you to diagnose the problem, and it tells you to get under the hood and, 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 to get, and where to get to work, to work on your heart. And so now let's look at the fruit of the Spirit, beginning in verse 22. He says, the fruit of the Spirit now is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, this is the fruit that will come out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look, I don't know about you, but when I tend to think of some of these words, Think of the fruits of the Spirit. I, I kind of I get th- this picture that like these words are sometimes, we picture them as like these lofty ideals, right? Like the kind of words that end up on those motivational posters from the 90s, right? You got the black background, like a picture of a beach, and then like peace at the bottom of it, like underneath. But the fruits of the Spirit, they're actually marks of practical Christian maturity. It shows us what naturally flows from the heart that is united with Christ, it's the fruit that flows from the root of your heart and the everyday stuff of life. And so it's actually what comes out of the surface in everyday life when you're stuck in traffic, when someone cuts you off, or when you're talking with a neighbor who is very irately talking to you about the different political views that he has than you, or when you have a close friend who just did you wrong and let you down, when you feel disrespected, when you go through personal tragedy, like losing a loved one, when your prayers seem to go unanswered, your prayer for that job, your prayer for that child, that relationship, that spouse that you've longed for doesn't seem to get answered. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is what flows out of the heart in the everyday stuff of life. 
should be what marks your life when these things hit us. You see, the fruit of the Spirit makes your relationship with yourself, with other people, and with God, and makes Him better. It makes Him more beautiful. We can't reduce this passage to this list of do's and don'ts. That was never Paul's intention. Instead, Galatians 5 gives us a way, this passage gives us a way to diagnose whether we are living for Christ or whether we're living for the world, whether we're walking in the Spirit or in the works of the flesh. God gives us lists like these in the Scriptures, a similar list in Colossians. The reason that he gives us this is because he's good and he wants his best for us. Jesus is called the great physician. And in his kindness, he wants us to know if you're progressing and growing, if you're maturing in the faith. That's why he gives us this passage. So lastly, I want us to look now at how real change happens. How real change happens. Read the last two verses with me. He says in verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we can have real heart change because we belong to Jesus. All right? We can have real heart change. Real heart change is possible because we belong to Jesus. You see, we tend to focus, we tend to look at a passage like this, and we tend to focus on the fruit of the Spirit and say, all right, I'm going to strive to do those things. But this passage reminds us that real heart change is a work of the Spirit that Jesus sent. That's why it's called a fruit. Where you are weak, he is strong. Where you have failed, his love never fails. Our power for real heart change is this, that we are his, that we belong to him and he belongs to us. And so all that is his is also ours. God's approval of him is also God's approval of us who are united with him. His grace is based not on our progress, not on our growth and character, but on our faith. And that faith will produce fruit because it's rooted in Jesus, the God of the resurrection, the God who makes all things new. You see, if you want to be like Jesus, then you first have to be with Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, then you have to first be with Jesus. Otherwise, it's just works of the flesh. It's like trying to staple good fruit on a tree. But if you're with Jesus in the power of the Spirit, in other words, you know him, you love him, you're wooed by him, your heart is stirred by him, you delight in him, you adore him, you love him, you worship him, then his spirit will cause your works of flesh to wither and die. To borrow a phrase from a friend of mine, he says, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. You see, we're never going to be a kind of church that says, like, look, you can only be here unless, unless you're okay, unless you clean yourself up. Jesus says, I came not for those who are all put together, not for the healthy, but the sick. That's why he calls himself a great physician. So it's okay to not be okay, 
But it's not okay to stay that way because if you're, if you're not growing, if you're not maturing, that means you're not really delighting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means you're not seeing him for who he is. Jesus lived the perfect life, the fruitful life, the perfect life that you and I could never live. He died for our sins in our place, a death that we deserve to die. And then he rose. He rose in triumphant victory over evil, sin, and death so that we could all be a part of his family. And then he puts his Holy Spirit in us to change us and to tether us so that you're not a damned rebel anymore. You're a saved sinner, a saint. You're not alone anymore. You're embraced and known by God Almighty. You're not a lost orphan anymore. You're adopted into his forever family. You see, living a changed life, a growing life, a maturing life, this is foundational for us as a church family. We need to get this. We're not here to grow a crowd of consumers, but a family of transformed disciples. Disciple means follower. If we're followers of Jesus, then we're going to grow in that. You see, entering the Christian life is more than just praying some prayer or filling out a connect card. It's about following a Savior and trusting His best for your life. That's what it means to be a disciple in the truest sense of that word. I ran across this great quote from an author named Alan Hirsch the other day. He says, You can create a stronger movement with 12 disciples than with 1,200 consumers. We say here a lot that we want to be a church that helps people live for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. We want to be a church that, by the grace of God, makes disciples that makes disciples and plants more churches that will plant more churches. We can't do that without the Spirit's help, and we can't do that if we're wasting our time in works of the flesh. We want to be a community, a family of transformed disciples, growing disciples, maturing disciples. That's what we want to be. It's okay to not be okay here, but if you stick around long enough, we hope you don't stay that way. We want you to meet Jesus, to delight in him, enjoy him, love his truth, gaze at his beauty, adore at his character, worship him for his work. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus because the strength to follow God's commands can never come from us. Just like a tree can't produce fruit by itself, not without good soil, water, and sunlight. Good fruit comes out of healthy trees. And so for the Christian, our roots are in Jesus Christ himself. So we can love the fruit of the Spirit. We can love because he first loved us. We can have joy because of the beauty of what he has done. We can have peace because he reigns sovereignly as the one who conquered sin and death. We can have patience because he forgave us. And so we can forgive others. We can have kindness because he invited us in. We can have goodness because he's the good shepherd. We can have faithfulness because his love endures forever. We can have gentleness because he's the lion and the lamb. We can have self-control because he satisfies the deep longings of the human heart. So this week, instead of putting this list of spiritual fruits on our bathroom mirror on our refrigerator and saying, I'm going to do these, we'll just say, 
I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to enjoy Him. I'm going to abide in Him. I'm going to spend time with Him. I'm going to forsake all else as worthless because He alone is worthy. And as we, as we walk in the Spirit, we'll wage war against the flesh, and by the grace of the living God, His power and presence will lead us in the newness of life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.